Merry Christmas one and all. Back in the car for episode 36 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I've got a nice long drive ahead, both hands on the wheel, and mostly open road. And we're going to try to keep you entertained here. Um, I am thankful, even though it's not Thanksgiving. I am grateful. I don't have a particularly large family, but I am driving to Manhattan as we speak for, cliche alert, meet family for Chinese food. It's kind of like the end of a Christmas story, that famous scene where uh, Ralphie and his family end up at a Chinese restaurant. They attempt to sing Merry Christmas, fa-la-la, the whole thing. Uh, It's not going to be that. I don't expect it to be humorous in that way, but it is going to be good to see my cousin Scott, who is a home run hitter. You know, he's the same age as me. He's the guy who took me to Springsteen at MetLife Stadium the night I closed on my new house. That was one of the most action-packed days of my entire life. But yes, I'm on my way. I'm taking a nice drive. Worth it to see family. And um, I've said before, I'm just about the luckiest person you'll ever meet or know or even just know through inference, you know, on social media. But I'm very, very fortunate. And a tradition that we often had um, in the 1990s especially was not just going out for Chinese food or sushi or whatever restaurants open, but going to the movies. And I feel like many of you have, um, you know, once you get the presents done, why the fuck not, right? But I want to share with you some of the movies that I was lucky enough to see on Christmas, usually with my dad and my sister both. Usually. I don't believe it was each time, but uh, usually that was who went to the movies. And we didn't do it a ton of times. It's not like every year in the 90s. You know, I, I could make up a story and say that in 1990, on Christmas, we saw Kindergarten Cop. And then in 1991, on Christmas, we saw Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. In 1992, we saw Robin Williams in Toys, or Robert Downey Jr. in Chaplin, or whatever might have been playing. But my first Christmas movie-going memory, strange that I didn't do this as a child, given how big of a movie fan was, and that I was in film school, hello, but went to see Titanic. Um on Christmas. I had seen it uh, a number of days earlier. And we saw it at the old Cinema 150 for you New Yorkers and people uh, from Long Island. It's a theater just off the Route 135 at Jericho Turnpike, Route 25. Uh, It's now an Equinox gym. It was a really great movie theater comfortable seats, not stadium seating like today, nothing fancy, this is, you know, 25 plus years ago, as I say, but very comfortable theater, balcony seating, and that movie just worked, regardless of whether or not it was seen in a normal movie theater, or a juiced up, for the time, a juiced up theater such as, um, at that point, was called The Syosset, and The Syosset stayed in business until 2000 when it closed and they started to transform it into what it is now, Equinox Gym. Uh, The last movie to ever play there, M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable, I saw it at the Syosset. But I remember that particular night um, seeing 
Titanic for the second time. And, you know, it's a long movie in the James Cameron pantheon. I consider it bizarre because it won so many damn Oscars. And I love the movie, but I don't consider it in James Cameron's top three. It's just not in his top three. I don't, no matter how you want to look at it, it's not as good as Aliens. It's not even close to Terminator 2. And I will argue to my last that the director's cut of The Abyss is a far better movie than Titanic. And Titanic, for the time, was an extraordinary production. The special effects, you know, the fact that people, even then, were hoping that Cameron was going to take a big fall because that film originally had a um, 4th of July-ish release date. But he was not, he had said it, I'm not going to be able to get the special effects done in time. I've got multiple teams working around the clock. It's not doable. you got to give me more time. So then it went from uh, a July, you know, summer 97 movie to Christmas season and award season as it turned out. And I think the movie is, to this day, it's super entertaining. The way they mounted the production, you can see how much money they spent. And it all went for a good purpose. I love Leo in it. You know, he's great. And Kate's great. And um, <laughs> what I would refer to as the Maggie Smith part was Frances Fisher, an actress I absolutely adore, was Clint Eastwood's um, romantic partner, and they had a child, Francesca, together. And Frances Fisher as Rose's mom in Titanic her performance was even better to me, just as a fan, the second time around. Because the first time around, she just seemed awful. She's a shrew. She's this, she's that. This is terrible. And even at age 23, me is like, yeah, they could have cast Maggie Smith in this part because this is basically what I would call a Maggie Smith kind of a role. Upper class, very patrician, very rigid, that kind of part. But Frances Fisher kills it. And she could have been nominated for Supporting Actress. She's so good in that role with the way that she deals with Billy Zane as Cal. Terrific. Um, and the issue is, I have a lot of issues with the dialogue. And I remember no less than Spike Lee. Spike Lee is one of those guys then as now. He's not afraid to give you a real opinion. If he loves something, you see it. He's all over social media. He's going to let you know, hey, I saw so-and-so. Um, I watched Spielberg's latest. It's tremendous. You know, he had a little feud with Tarantino, but they seem to be over it. Um, but Spike Lee said, from a production standpoint, it was one of the greatest films that he had ever been assembled up to that point. He said, I got nothing to say. Technically, this is an extraordinary movie. I don't think the dialogue is that great. I think that the script could have used a few more passes through the dialogue blender. Words to that effect. Which I agree with, and I feel like some of the anachronistic dialogue does... Nowadays, it doesn't play as well. And I remember seeing it in theaters, and even on that night when they make the joke about Pablo Picasso, I'm cracking up. It's funny. I don't know. It doesn't hit the same way now. <laughs> um, but yeah, seeing Titanic through a packed house at the Syosset, Christmas night, 1997. You know, I, was only, I hadn't even turned 24 yet. Amazing right? What a great experience. That was totally a community thing. And the movie, we know it made a shit ton of money. It was up to that point in time, the highest in pure dollars. I don't know about inflation adjusted. I, you know, I haven't checked the numbers, but that was a movie that was an enormous hit and it just kept, it stayed number one at the box office for, I don't know how many weeks and a movie that really isn't very good. This 1998 movie adaptation of the old sixties TV show, Lost in Space, starring William Hurt, um, Danger Will Robinson, 
that ended up being the film to dislodge it sometime in February of 1998. Uh, but watching people, so many people leaving the theater, bawling their heads off. I mean, it's, it's I guess it's a sad ending, but I, I didn't watch that movie to bawl my head off. I watched it. I love James Cameron. I was already a fan of DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. She was in movies like Heavenly Creatures, which I appreciated. Uh, Peter Jackson, a, a great young filmmaker at the time, ended up obviously doing Lord of the Rings. But um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually cry. Uh, it doesn't really mean anything. But the next year, 1998, a bit of an under the radar classic Fargo-ish thriller with an amazing cast. We saw that time in '98 at the Broadway Mall, A Simple Plan, with an actor who was unfortunately seven plus years past and a guy who was always on the button, Bill Paxton. Never saw Bill Paxton give anything other than a terrific performance. Even in one of his last roles, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, he fucking knocks it out of the park. He knocks it out of the park. His character alone is worth the price of admission. I love Cruise. Edge of Tomorrow is great. Emily Blunt. The movie has, you know, it's like Groundhog Day on speed at times 100, basically. You know, live, die, repeat. Live, die, repeat. But A Simple Plan is a slow burn, very quiet, melancholy thriller about two brothers... Bill Paxton and another terrific actor and a great writer in his own right and good filmmaker and Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, they are in the woods, the forest, and they stumble on a lot of money. There's been some sort of plane crash and they stumble on $3 million, whatever it is. It's way too much money. And they're basically trying to figure out how can we keep this money and uh, not get fucked by everyone that we know who is going to know that we have this money. And Bridget Fonda plays Bill Paxton's wife. There are other great actors in supporting roles like Chelsea Ross, another actor who's terrific in every movie he was in, going back to like Hoosiers and other films from the 80s. And the movie just slowly grabs you and you start to see the noose beginning to tighten around Bill Paxton's character, who's not an evil man. He's not a terrible person and Billy Bob's character is also not written as a negative guy. But you just start to see that this is not going to end well. There's going to be people getting killed and other people getting hurt. All because this money was in an area where it shouldn't have been and something that shouldn't have happened to have that money be there. And I just remember being absolutely riveted. Was it Sam Raimi? I believe it was Sam Raimi who did that before the first Spider-Man and many years after the cult movies that Generation X or film geeks like myself... You know, Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, you know, those kinds of movies. Um, but Raimi was always visual, uh, visual invention was his thing. Even in The Quick and the Dead, which is essentially a Clint Eastwood spaghetti western with Sharon Stone playing the Clint Eastwood part, but different in the sense that Sharon, who, another actress I adore, she's another one, I don't really like her. She, I think Sharon Stone's terrific. What a great career she's had, even though she's made a lot of duds. But Quick and the Dead is a Sam Raimi film from first frame to the last. Phenomenal cast. Gene Hackman, Leonardo DiCaprio, Lance Henriksen, Keith David. Just a, a home run bomb of a cast through and through. And um, terrific, terrific movie. But A Simple Plan is one of those films that if you want a good thriller, if you like Fargo. So I'm not really that big of a Fargo fan. And here's my hot take. 
I will put a simple plan above Fargo. I am way in the minority on this one. I like Fargo. I have never understood the total adoration of that film. If you want me to go with Coen Brothers movies, I can name a lot. And most people I know, and certainly Siskel and Ebert back in the day, I believe they both had Fargo as their top film of 1996. And there's a whole story with Fargo where it, it should have been released in 1995 and it probably would have won Best Picture over Braveheart and taken the major awards, but there were issues with the distributor. And for a movie that ended up doing so well with, with um, you know, was an awards-worthy film, uh, it got released early in 96. That just doesn't happen very often in Hollywood. It happened five years earlier, a similar scenario with Silence of the Lambs, which was released in February of 1991. And if it had been released in 1990, the year of Dances with Wolves and Goodfellas, where I maintain to this day, and a lot of people do agree with me on this one, Love Costner, Dances with Wolves, great. Martin Scorsese and Goodfellas should have taken a major hardware. No offense. I love Kevin Costner, but come on. It, it, Goodfellas is, is more of an all-timer as far as I'm concerned. In the case of Fargo, it is a film that so many people absolutely unabashedly love. I like it. It's a good movie. But if you ask me to start naming Coen Brothers films, I think the man who wasn't there runs rings around Fargo. I thought that film was almost a masterpiece. Intolerable Cruelty, great. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, fucking masterpiece. What a great movie that was. So Fargo, to me, is just a good movie, a simple plan. And Sam Raimi has talked about the fact that he's a huge fan of the Coen Brothers. I mean, who isn't? You know what I mean? I, even if I take issue with certain films, I'm a huge fan of the Coen Brothers. Or something in this instance that Fargo happens to be overrated. It's not really an issue with them. Um, but Sam Raimi had talked about how he spoke with them and they were more than willing to give him ideas because he wanted to know, do you have any tips and tricks or anything that I might do that I don't already know to do when shooting in heavy snow? And not snowfall coming down, but shooting where there is snow on the ground. And they were very helpful giving him ideas because a lot of Fargo is, they're freezing their fucking nuts off over there in, in North Dakota. Oh yeah, you betcha. You see something down there, Chief? No, I just think I'm gonna barf. I mean, there are great moments in Fargo. But a simple plan, to me, is a better movie. A stronger motion picture. That's just my opinion. You know, and this is not, I'm not one of those people, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. No, no, I am fully aware that this is a take that most people don't have. But I love the movie A Simple Plan. It's not the kind of film that you can watch over and over again, like certain you know slow burn thrillers where you can always kind of catch them, get into them. Taxi Driver, a very disturbing slow burn thriller. I've seen at least 15 times. Um, and there are certainly others. Silence of the Lambs is a movie that I cannot watch again. I find that to be so distressing to sit through. Nope. But yes, A Simple Plan, Sam Raimi, starring Bill Paxton, the late, great Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton trivia, the only man to ever be killed by an alien, a Terminator, and a Predator. Arnold bumps him off in Terminator 1. He meets an unfortunate end, heroically, to the aliens in James Cameron's masterpiece, Aliens. And then in 1990, in the kind of underrated Predator 2, which, whether they meant to or not, opens the door for Alien vs. Predator in a very clever way. I love Danny Glover, Robert Davi, terrific cast, but Bill Paxton doesn't make it. He gets killed by a predator in that movie. Uh, but yes, Bill Paxton, Oscar winner, Billy Bob Thornton for Sling Blade. I like them French fried potatoes. A lot of people call it a Casablade. I call it a Sling Blade. 
classic movie. And Bridget Fonda, as I said, in A Simple Plan. Fantastic movie. Thumbs up. Multiple thumbs up. The last film of the 90s that I saw in theater, so basically three years in a row, went to the movies on Christmas. Titanic, brand name movie. A Simple Plan, not quite a brand name movie. Kind of more under the radar. Didn't do well at the box office, even though it got terrific reviews. You check it on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, I believe, well into the 80s. 1999. Now, here's the interesting part about this particular movie story. I've only had full-blown influenza, full-blown flu, two times in my life. Only twice. And after the second time, it was so bad that I started to get the flu shot. <laughs> you know, um, 1995, spring. I was 21 years old in the prime of my health. You're not going to ever be in better health in most, most cases than you are when you're that age. Everything's clicking on all sudden. Yeah, well, you know what? It was a rough flu season. A lot of people around me were getting sick, and I got violently ill. It was one of those where I felt fine. I'd come home from school. You know, I was at NYU at the time. And uh, we tuned in to uh, CNN's coverage of the O.J. Simpson criminal trial. That's how long ago this is. This is 28 and a half years ago, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages. Um, I was feeling great, and then 10 minutes later, I was under three blankets thinking that I was going to freeze to death and die right there. That is how hard I got hit by the flu. So that was my 1995 bout with influenza. It hit me like that. I felt like that for about the next 12 hours, and then it loosened its grip. And then I just kind of felt lousy for a couple of days, but the fever and the ridiculous chills and body aches went away. The next time I had the flu was just before Christmas, 1999. I started to feel sick on December 23rd. I'd gone to see The Rainmaker. I saw The Rainmaker, a great Francis Coppola film. Never mentioned when we talk of Coppola's best, Godfather, Godfather 2, The Conversation, uh, you know, even some people, um, one from the heart, people throw in any kind of Coppola film they want, Cotton Club, Apocalypse Now. I love The Rainmaker. It's a terrific book. Many people consider that to be the best book that John Grisham ever wrote. It's certainly the most, one of the most cinematic, for sure. But a great movie with, uh, I'm sorry, I got my years wrong. The Rainmaker was 97. And Talented Mr. Ripley was 99. I saw The Rainmaker just before Christmas in 1997. That's where I got mixed up. Because The Rainmaker and um, Good Will Hunting were released right around the same time. And uh, I didn't see either of those on Christmas. I, I got myself a little bit cocked up. You know, even someone like me, a little bit of the, uh, the savant, you know, uh, on the spectrum. Even I make mistakes and get my ears a little bit uh, cocked up or a little bit fakakta. But yes, 1997, I saw two Mad Damon movies within a week uh, or two weeks. That part, I'm not sure. But definitely in, in December of 97, so The Rainmaker and um, Goodwill Hunting. But in 99, December 23rd, I started to feel sick. Uh, I, I started getting chills. I didn't have a temperature. I wasn't as sick as I had been from flu in uh, 1995. But I was effed up. And I remember that we had these plans to go out to lunch and then to see Talented Mr. Ripley, which had gotten terrific reviews. I remember Roger Ebert raved about it. And 99, famously, is a great, a great year for movies. From American Beauty, The Matrix, Sixth Sense, Blair Witch Project on down. A great year for Hollywood. One of the best. You know, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, Austin Powers Part 2. There's so many great movies that year. Stir of Echoes with Kevin Bacon, an under-the-radar terrific thriller. 
but I did not want my ill health to ruin our Christmas fun. You know, I, I was looking forward to it and had been looking forward to it. Go out for a nice lunch and then go to the movies. So what I did was, this was my version of a kid who says, hey, if I go to school today, can I go to the party tonight? So I went to the gym Christmas morning feeling like absolute crapola. I was wired with not only caffeine, but a lot of ibuprofen. And I remember I'm on cardio, shivering, and I did deadlifts, shivering. You know, nowadays I'd be recording it, it'd be a fucking riot, live streaming the fact, live streaming the fact that I can't stop shivering, and I'm at the gym, you know, spreading my germs all over the place. Not so good. But I remember getting home, started to feel a little bit chilly again, and I was, as I say, nowhere near as sick as when I had the flu in '95. Not even close. I was under the weather, but. By this point, I probably wasn't even contagious. I mean, nobody around me ended up getting sick. So, I take another four ibuprofen, and I remember at lunch, we went to a fancy Italian restaurant in Huntington Village called Cucina. La Cucina! Kind of a classic name. We had a great lunch. And then we saw the talented Mr. Ripley. And, you know, I really like the whole cast. I was not familiar with... Um, the, the Alan Delone version from the early 60s, uh, Purple Noon, which a lot of people like. I had not read the book by Patricia Highsmith. I didn't read Ripley's Game. I didn't, I'd never read anything from Patricia Highsmith. So all I had to go on was an idea that the Alan Delone movie is considered a classic. You know, and Alan Delone was a guy who was like, like the Jude Law of his day, a guy who was just preposterously good looking, where every woman wants him and every guy wants to kill him because he's so damn good looking, like that kind of thing. But I didn't see the movie, so I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be like a mistaken identity, identity thief, or any of this kind of shit. I did not like the movie. And I was disappointed especially because I normally, Roger Ebert and I were on the same page, and he thought the film was a masterpiece. And David Denby, my other favorite critic, writing in New York Magazine, he also really liked that movie. And it just, it just didn't do it for me. I did not like it. And I remember walking out of the theater bitterly disappointed. And I don't remember. I'm pretty sure my dad liked it because he did buy the DVD. Dad wasn't a guy who would just randomly throw money at stuff. He was very, very cautious and careful. He wasn't he wasn't one who would buy DVDs. He preferred to just rent them. If it's something I really like, I'll buy it. You know, The Natural, one of his movies, Chariots of Fire, he would buy the DVD. But he bought the DVD for The Talented Mr. Ripley, and I know he watched it a few more times, so he was a fan of that film. As I did not like it, he did. So, you know, that that's what makes a horse race. No big deal. No harm, no foul. And if I'm not mistaken, those were the only three times, strange, 97, 98, 99, that I, myself and my father, may he rest in peace, my wonderful dear old dad, Alan Philip Cohen, born 831-42, in the good old Bronx, the beautiful Bronx, uh, it was dad and my sister and myself, all three of those times. And um, it's memories like, like these, in part, why I say that I am so lucky. Because I know there are a lot of people, not just at holiday season, who, you know, you're depressed and downtrodden, but because I've had a lifetime, despite the strife, any massive 
ups and downs. Now, I have had massive ups and downs, particularly in the last couple of decades. Uh, well, actually, since getting out of college would be more accurate. So, long time, 26, 27 years, long time. But moments like that with family, moments like in 1995, when my divorced parents were starting to get onto better terms, and my mom, God bless her, my mama who's on a cruise as we speak, she just, it's great, she goes on one cruise after another, Carnival, Holland American, NCL, it's just one cruise after another for Fern Roberta Breitkopf, aka Candy Breitkopf Cohen. But a great Christmas memory is my mom, who just loved to cook. She didn't really discriminate as far as holidays. She loved to cook, and her gentleman at the time uh, Roman Catholic, if I'm not mistaken. And she was making a big Christmas dinner in 95 and asked, hey, you think you think if I, because my dad lived in Woodbury, mom was still at the old house in Peekwell where I grew up, you think if I invite your dad, you think that he would come? I said, you know what, mom? I think he would. And she invited him and he was very grace, uh, grateful and happy to oblige and accept and we had an amazing time. We had so many laughs. You know, they, they they were starting to reach a point of not being angry about the stupid stuff that pissed them off in the 1980s, and they were willing to laugh at each other's kind of flaws and faults and foibles. And that's another reason why I consider myself so lucky, because my parents, despite the issues that they had and the acrimony and anger, my parents, God bless them both, God bless my old man, who's no longer here, they had a deep respect for one another. And my sister and I, it's hard to put into words, but it meant something to us that we knew that our parents did not hate each other's guts, that they always strove to do what was best for us first, not so much them. Another thing where I consider myself extraordinarily lucky that I had two home run hitters for parents. Now I just have one. My mom, my home run hitting, hilarious, huge character of a mom. And with that, movie stories and personal stories as I continue on this pleasant drive into Manhattan, and I'm being serious because I'm going to see family and we're going to have a wonderful Chinese food meal just like so many others tonight. We've come to the end of episode 36 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I want to thank you. You're probably not going to be joining me this evening. You'll probably catch up with this tomorrow. If you join me on my YouTube channel, um, please don't forget to click like and smash the subscriber bell. Your support is so appreciated. I am having reactions on YouTube. I can't believe since I started posting shorts. People seem to love these little quick funny videos and funny stories. I had a funny story about Lethal Weapon. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2, to be precise, up there. And then I had another one, uh, a classic Bev's Gym or Bev Francis Powerhouse Gym story from 2010 of a trainer just absolutely beating the crap out of his client while it was myself and my old training partner, Eric Lease, there. So people seem to like those little short, those quick pops. And um, believe it or not, the Bonfire of the Vanities and Goodfellas story with Martin Scorsese and Brian De Palma, the respective filmmakers uh, in reverse, or uh, fighting it out with the Warner Brothers executives. That podcast has 26,000 views on YouTube. Are you kidding me? So keep going. I love that you're responding to my YouTube videos. If you have any movie posters that you'd like me to add to the to the office that I have there where I record, 
or if there are any movies that you would like, classic movies that you would like me to do a reaction to a podcast on, please let me know. And also, if you end up checking out episode 36 on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts, or any of the audio platforms, because this, uh, the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast is on every audio platform imaginable, please don't forget to click like and subscribe. And I'll be back with episode 37 real soon. Take care. And Merry Christmas again. Peace on Earth and goodwill to you all. Good night.